The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Paul's letter to the Philippians, and so Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can now come before uh, your word and uh, open up this letter to the Philippians. Lord, I just, I'm so excited to look at this text with this church. And I pray that as we spend the fall in this letter, Lord, that you would work this letter in us. Work it in our minds. Work it in our hearts. And Lord, start in us today, we pray. I need your help. I pray for your help to teach this faithfully, clearly. And Lord, just begin the work and continue the work that you have begun, knowing that that's what you do. You will complete the work. Uh, so... Start now, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So would you consider yourself to be a joyful person? Would you consider yourself to be a joyful person? Uh, Do you seem happy? Do you communicate happiness or maybe not so much? What would your community say about you? Would they say, yeah, I think so, or meh, has other strengths? Um, what would you say about yourself? Are you a joyful person? You know, we can fake it with others to some extent, but maybe you know on the inside, mm, not as much. Is, is joy a consistent part of who you are and your character? And how would you answer these questions? Some might say, how can I be joyful? Have you seen my life? I've got struggles, I've got sicknesses, I've got relational pain, I've got All sorts of difficulties, frustrations, trials, mistakes. How can I possibly be joyful? Others might say, you know what, I feel like I should be joyful. My life has lots of good things in it, but sometimes it still feels empty. I'm worried, I'm stressed, I'm frustrated, I'm not content. It's like like I don't have taste buds for enjoying what I have. I feel that way sometimes. Do you think that you should be joyful? You know, some might say, hey, that's not a should question. You can should some things, but you can't just choose to be joyful. It's like, go ahead, feel happy, go. You know, is there a button? Is there a pill? Like, how do you just feel joyful? How can you be commanded to feel something? Good question. One more question. When you do have joy, what is it that gives you the most joy? What do you love the most where it's like, ah, this one rings my bell? That one hits it for me. Will that joy last? Is that joy enough? Well, we're starting a new series this morning. I'm very excited about it. And if God will help us, we're going to get our minds and hearts around the possibility of true, great joy. Uh, Joy that can swell in the midst of any circumstance. Do you think that's true? Joy that can swell in the midst of any circumstance. Joy you can actually taste in everyday life. Joy that's not only available to you, but commanded from you. And joy that will last and not let you down. And maybe you're a skeptic as I talk about joy and you're like, meh. Wouldn't it be cool if you could have joy? Just suppose. 
Suppose you could have more joy. Would, is anybody like, I don't want that? <laughs> wouldn't that be amazing? And wouldn't it be great to be known as a joyful church? If people came to our church, they thought, what, what was it about that place? Strange joy there. Do you want that? God wants that for us. But I know as I say that, that I need help. I mean, I, I don't know how I would answer all those questions at the beginning. Am I a joyful person? S- sort of. I, I want to be. I need, but I know I need help. Maybe that's the way you feel. I, I need help. And it, what's so great is I think we have the best help there is right here in the letter to the Philippians. This is incredible help for being joyful people in a joyful church. And so we begin today, I'm calling our series, Tenacious Joy. So as we just get started this morning, I just want to give you four reasons why percolating in Philippians can move us toward real joy. So you'll notice I use the word percolating. Does anyone know what that is? That is God's miracle. Some of you are enlightened, as I am. Okay. That is God's miracle by which you take normal water and ground coffee beans, and out comes the sweet nectar of life. <clears throat> you heat up the water, and you run it slowly through the coffee beans, and it becomes coffee. Okay? Now, what if the Holy Spirit was to warm the water of who you are and run it slowly through Philippians? To where the truth of this letter is getting in your head and getting in your heart. And out comes, literally, actually, a more joyful you. And a more joyful us. That's exactly what's supposed to happen. So the Bible calls meditating on God's word. Soaking in it, percolating in it, so that you become a, a new kind of drink for the world. So I've got uh, four ways... Philippians can do that for us. Four reasons for soaking in Philippians so that we can have joy. Number one, Philippians gives us wisdom for joy. Philippians gives us wisdom for joy. Number two, Philippians shows us the reality of joy. The reality of joy. Number three, Philippians forms us into a community of joy. And number four, Philippians offers the power for joy. So you have the wisdom for joy, the reality of joy, a community of joy, a power for joy. All right, let's get started. First, the wisdom for joy. Look at verse 1. Who wrote Philippians? Did anyone see it? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Why is this important? Who are these guys? Uh, what's, what's the deal? Well, you remember, we just finished our study through Luke. And it's not a trick question, but who wrote Luke? Go ahead. If you can feel smart for one moment. Hey, I know that one. Luke. That's right. Luke gave us this epic eyewitness account of the life of Jesus, didn't he? Epic eyewitness account of Jesus. And he is the Christ. He's the eternal son of God. He's God's promised king who saves his people from their sin through his life, death, and resurrection. We can repent of our rebellion, put our trust in Jesus Christ, and he will save us. Forgiven, accepted, remade, with God as your father instead of your judge. Jesus Christ, so beautiful. You know, Luke didn't just write Luke. What else did Luke write? 
He wrote Acts, and it's called Acts because it's the Acts of the Apostles. And so you see this first generation of Christian leaders and what God did through them. Amazing stories of how God saved his people, just as Luke showed us Jesus would do. And one amazing story is, his name was Saul in the beginning. You know who I'm talking about? Paul, okay? Amazing story. You remember what Paul was like. He was a religious leader, self-righteous, passionate about the persecution of Christians. He wanted their arrest, their imprisonment, their death. And yet, though he was totally undeserving, who did he encounter on that road? The risen Jesus Christ. And Jesus saves him by grace, and not only does he save him, he says to Paul, you are going to be my apostle. Apostle. That's a really important title. What is an apostle? I'm really skeptical of anybody today who's like, I'm an apostle. Hmm. In what way do you mean that? Because the original apostles were these men whom Jesus called and, and, and entrusted to authority, unique authority to proclaim him and what it means to follow him. So, you know, why did we preach Luke and not Great Thoughts by Matt Ford? What? Because Luke is a part of the apostolic party. He's under apostolic authority. It's from the apostles. Why am I preaching Philippians and not Great Thoughts on Self-Help from Modern American Culture? Because Paul is an apostle and he has authority from Jesus to proclaim Jesus. And that's what Acts shows us, the apostles, and how in, in Acts chapter 16, we see converted apostle Paul go to Philippi and preach Jesus, and God creates a church there. People who love and trust Christ and live for him together through Paul's message. So why, why can I say Philippians is wisdom for joy? Well, number one, this letter comes with the authority of Jesus Christ. Paul is a hand-picked apostle of Jesus, and he has authority to preach Jesus. And he got that authority from Jesus. You know, I mention it because it's kind of a fad today to say you like Jesus but not Paul. You ever heard that? I have heard that. It's, a, it's kind of a fad today to say, oh, I like Jesus and not Paul. It's ironic, I think, to say that. Strange to say that. I, why do people say that? Well, here's one reason. Jesus was mainly preaching to traditional religious Jews. Okay? Paul was preaching to a Roman Gentile culture. And so sometimes when he would attack Roman Gentile cultural lifestyle, okay, that hits hot buttons of modern American cultural lifestyle. And so you might not find that explicitly in Jesus, because he's preaching to a different audience, but you'll find it in Paul. So you say, oh, I like Jesus, but I don't like Paul, because I don't like what he's saying over here. Who told you about Jesus? How did we learn about Jesus? Luke. Who told you about Paul? How do we know that Paul is Christ's disciple? Luke. What would Luke say if you said, hey, I like Jesus, but not Paul? He would say, no, you don't. No, you don't. Because Jesus called Paul to be his apostle. 
and to proclaim him authoritatively. So this letter comes with the authority of Jesus. Do you know that Luke and Paul together wrote 50% of the New Testament? That's incredible. That's incredible that Jesus called these two men in these ways to have that much of a voice for what it means to know Jesus and follow him. Friends, is it possible to know Jesus and follow him without the testimony of the apostles? How would you do that? What would be the boundaries on that? How would you know what it was versus what it wasn't? It's not possible. And so what I'm emphasizing here is this this is the authority of Christ through his apostle. It's wisdom for joy. So it's wisdom for joy because it comes with the authority of Jesus, but it also comes with the heart of Jesus. So in some of his letters, Paul will say, hey, I'm Paul, I'm an apostle. He'll throw that out there. He he needs to assert that authority given from Christ. But did you see what he called himself here in verse 1? Paul and Timothy, and what's the next word? Servants of Christ. And what you see here is, is the atmosphere of Paul's apostleship. He is after what Christ is after for Christ's people. It comes with the heart of Jesus. Look at this one verse, Philippians 1.25. This is an amazing verse to me. Paul writes this, uh, Philippians 1.25. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you all. Why? For your progress And what? Joy in the faith. Why is Paul an apostle? For your joy. God gave the church apostles for their joy in the faith. And so he comes not only with the authority of Christ, but with the heart of Christ. I want to work with you and help you and teach you and move you towards progress and joy in the faith. That blows me away. Church, what are you supposed to get as you read Philippians? The voice of Christ through his apostle, and it will lead you as you percolate in it and trust it and submit to it to what to joy that's why i say this book this letter is wisdom for joy it comes with the authority of christ it comes with the heart of christ through his apostle let's trust it let's trust it can you trust this letter can you trust that it's actually for you And this truth is for you, properly understood. Let's trust it. It's from Christ for his church. Number two, the reality of joy. You know, as you read this letter, it's full of a very strange kind of joy. And here's why. It's strange. It's written by a man who's experiencing many things we might consider to be joy-crushing. Rejoice, joy. It's like 12, 15 times the whole thing. Joy, rejoicing, I'm rejoicing. And you think, man, he must live in an ivory tower. He's one of those TV preachers, and he's just raking in the cash, and he's like, hey, prosperity gospel works for those who preach it. Joy, except it's not him. Any, uh, any Bible nerds? you remember where Paul's writing this from? Roman prison. Roman prison. They didn't have a nice, they didn't have a lot of laws for making sure it was comfy for the prisoners. 
Supposedly the only way you eat in a Roman prison is if people bring you food. So think of all the comforts that bring you joy in your life that he does not have. It's a long list. And you think, I'm kind of struggling with joy. And then you think, boy, if I was put in his situation, the joy is gone. This is crushing. I couldn't have joy and be in that situation. And yet he does. Are you doing that? Moreover, he's wondering about whether or not he's going to be executed. Any of you struggling with anxiety today? I am. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And what are you anxious for? Well, the economy, your job, argument with a friend. I don't know. Maybe something more serious. Try plugging in. I might get my head cut off next week. Rejoice. Right? We're going through our struggles, and Paul says rejoice, and we go, man, you can't really. Do you understand my situation? And he might say, yes. <laughs> yes, I do. I thought I might get my head cut off. What is going on that someone in his circumstances can have joy? Because doesn't that seem to pop your expectations on how joy works? Right? Good situations, more joy. Bad situations, less joy. Wrong model, Paul says. Which is why we need to think about the reality of joy. And I have been thinking, I don't know how often I, my brain actually reaches the level of thinking, but I've been trying to think about joy because I gotta tell you, it's hard for me. It's hard for me. I often feel handicapped when it comes to joy as if I'm not working quite right. Sometimes it's hard to have joy in hard times. That one's kind of obvious. Okay, anybody else struggle with that one? <laughs> Sometimes it's hard for me to have joy in good times. I think I'm probably more aware of my joylessness in good times. Why is everything seemingly perfect and there's billions of people who trade with me and I'm, eh, what's my problem? I have a problem with joy. Is, can anybody else relate? I, I, I don't get it. So I've, I've been wanting to understand Paul. So let's think about the reality of joy a little bit. I'll start with just a basic joy definition. Even if you just type it into the dictionary, joy is an experience of pleasure or happiness. You might want to go deeper, but can we start there? If there's no experience or pleasure or happiness, that's a strange definition on joy. It's an experience of pleasure or happiness. And I think it comes from apprehending or experiencing something. So in other words, you can't go after joy for its own sake. Like, feel joyful. Go. Ah, I can't. I'm joyful about that was a beautiful sunset. My friend's coming over. This food was delicious. I have to apprehend something somehow and have joy as a result of that, right? Joy, you can't go after joy all by itself with only joy. You can't do that. It has to come from some object or experience. So joy is a delight from that, or happiness that comes from some sort of apprehension or experience in some, with something. Have you ever heard Christian people say, um, joy and happiness are different? And in my experience, when they say that, they say, happiness comes from something of this world, and joy is spiritual. Have you heard that before? I've heard it before. I'm not quite convinced. If you want to convince me afterwards, I'm, I'm here. I would love to hear that. I'm not convinced. There's this weird distinction there that makes these things too different. 
I, I don't know. Look at how the Bible talks about it. Here's just one example. Is joy and happiness different? Well, Psalm 4-7. Look what the psalmist says. You put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Let's just ponder that for a minute. You put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. So these people, they have, and in context is probably unbelievers. They, they just live for this world, and they get lots of grain and wine. And in the old days, grain and wine, that stands for, hey, milk and honey, riches and pleasures. You're good. You have land. The land is producing. The land is matured. You have not only grapes, but grapes that can turn into wine. There's peace. There's, there's thriving. And, and what does lots of grain and wine get you? Joy. Can any of you relate? You like to go out for a nice dinner with friends? Yeah, you do. It gives you joy. Grain and wine. And other places in the Psalms, the psalmist praises God for grain and wine. They do give joy. The psalmist here in Psalm 4-7 doesn't say, they have happiness and I have joy. He says they have some joy and we can all relate. And I have way more joy and better joy. More and better joy. It seems like there's a basic joy and a top-shelf joy. You, you get joy from apprehending something, but not all these things can give the same amounts of joy. You already knew that, right? You knew that. Don't you get more joy from someone you love deeply over the years than you do from pudding? Okay, you're like, oh, pudding, it's great. But I love this person, okay? Different things can give different kinds of joys. You already knew that. You already knew that. Why am I spending time on it? Anybody like ice cream? I had frozen custard last night. Wow, it's killer. It's killer. Ice cream, long, hard, hot day. You get a little sweet tooth. You go, mmm, I want some ice cream. Can anyone relate? Okay, a couple of you. You can relate. I'm speaking your language. You're awake now. But I've lost you because you're like, I'm going to get ice cream right after church. <laughs> because we're already having a certain kind of joy from, from anticipating ice cream. Anticipation is real joy. It certainly is. Sometimes you enjoy anticipating your vacation more than the vacation itself. You're anticipating ice cream, and then you finally get it and say it's really good, and you eat it. There's a certain kind of joy, no lie. Okay? But the joy it can give only goes so far. What happens if you said, I live for ice cream? I eat ice cream twice a day, every day. Some people do it. There's a joy from the ice cream. What will happen to that joy after you eat ice cream every day for six months? That joy will turn to sorrow. Because you have loved something too much. You have looked for too much joy from an object that cannot offer it. And my ice cream illustration might be silly, but this is what you do all the time in your idolatry. Is there joy from having money in the bank? 
You're all so spiritual because you're looking around, oh, I don't know. Okay. Please. Okay. The answer is yes. <laughs> there is. And you better be careful you don't love that too much because there's people with lots of money in the bank that don't have any joy. And they're looking for it to give them something. And they're putting too much on it. They love it too much. It cannot offer the joy that they need. Look at what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.17. I think this verse really helps with joy. Because what we want to do is we, we all know that we can get baseline joy from good things in the world. Grain and wine. Ice cream. Yeah. We know that. But then we're learning as we see our joy problem that we love these things too much and they cannot offer the top shelf joy we are longing for. And so as I'm learning about my own joy problem, I'm realizing that the source of my joy problem is a desire problem. Your joy problem is a desire problem. Because joy comes from getting what you want. The problem is when you want the wrong things or you want some things in the wrong way. That's why you have a joy problem. Our desires are out of whack. They're dislocated. We love some things more than we should. And we love other things not nearly enough. And that's why we don't have joy. Look what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.17. As for the rich in this present age. Now, what do they have right between you and me? Joy, because they're rich, right? Well, he's talking to rich Christians. Charge them not to be haughty. Don't find joy in your own skill. Nor to set them hope, their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Hey, this joy can't last you forever. But on God. He's the joy that lasts. He, and he richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Do you see this balance here? There's these things to enjoy. All these wonderful things God has put in the world. Can they give you joy? Yeah. But don't love them too much. Don't love them too much. You love them too much, it'll turn to sorrow. You'll never really have joy. Don't set your hope on your skills or your bank account. Set your hope on God. That's joy. And now when you're thinking, I don't think God could really give me joy right there. See, we caught you. And I'm guilty too. You don't love him enough. You don't want him enough. That's my problem. I don't love what I should to the extent that I should love it, which is why I can't find quite the joy in it that I should. And I love these other things far too much, which is why they're always letting me down. They can't give me what I need. My desires are wrong. They're off. They're out of joint. And so to get top shelf joy, look, baseline joy is you get what you want. I wanted ice cream. I got it. There's some joy there. Good. Top shelf joy is wanting the right things in the right way and then getting what you want. Paul says he knows the secret later in Philippians. He knows the secret. Look at Philippians 4.12. 
Now, usually when you see this verse, it's like a tattoo on a football player, and they're like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? And I've always wondered how this is going to work. How does Jesus do this if the offensive lineman and the defensive lineman both say that at the same time? It's like, does the power of Jesus cancel itself out? I could do all things, but so can I. Oh, no, you know? I did that in Little League. I remember standing up there, I'm not a good hitter. I can do all things who strike. Strike. Oh, it didn't work. That's because it's not what it's about. Looking for Philippians 4.12. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound in any and every circumstance i've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need what's the secret i have christ i can do all things through christ who strengthens me he can go to the most lavish dinner at the richest guy's house and see the view and eat the delicious food and be like, praise God, this is rad, I can do it. And then he can be in prison and the view's gone and the food's gone. He's still okay. Because he's found the top shelf joy. His desires have been changed to where later in the letter he would say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What does that tell you about him? What does he want? Who does he want? He wants Christ. And guess who he has when he's brought low? Christ. And guess who he has when, who he, has when he abounds? Christ. And that's the secret so I'm not talking about some floaty, you know, fake, kind of fake plastic pretendo joy. I'm not talking about that. Paul will say, 2 Corinthians 10, I, I love this one phrase, as apostles, our lives are like this as Christians. Six, 2 Corinthians 6.10, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Is it possible to have deep sorrow and deep joy simultaneously? Yeah, it's guaranteed. It's guaranteed. But he's found the secret, and he's constantly telling the church, here's the main example, Philippians 4.4. 4. What does he say? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Where do you find your joy? In the Lord. When does it work? Always. He's the top shelf joy. So let me back up. I'm talking about wisdom for joy. The apostle is writing this letter with the authority of Christ and the heart of Christ for the joy of Christ's people. It's wisdom for joy. Trust the letter. Now I'm talking about the reality of joy. Try to sum up. Baseline joy is getting what you want. I was hungry. I got food. Let's go to the beach. It was beautiful. It's real, right? Grain and wine abound. It's, it's real. Baseline joy is getting what you want. The top shelf joy, the joy, the reality of true joy is wanting the right things in the right way. 
and then realizing you have Christ. That's the reality of joy, wanting and having Christ. That's it. Number three, the community of joy. Look what he says in verse one. I love this language. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. All the saints. Now, if you come from maybe a more Roman Catholic background, all the saints at a local church, how many people is that? Maybe two, right? Because to be a saint, you have to be, you know, varsity, varsity Christian, right? And so most of you, right? <laughs> if you're looking at it that way, like, I might be one of the overseers, but I'm probably not a saint, let's be honest, okay? Except that's the wrong way to look at it. It's, that's the wrong way to look at it. Look at the difference between in and at. In and at. Where they at? <laughs> where they at? They at? Philippi. It's a, it's a local place. It's a group of people at a local place. That's where they're at. Who are they in? In. Christ, in Christ, to all of you who are in Christ. Do you see yourself that way? Are you in Christ? I mean, think about it. The eternal son of God, the promised king, the one, the, the one, the preeminent one. Are you in him? How could you be in him? How could you be in him? This is by grace, through faith. If you repent of your sin, you see your need, you ask for mercy, you look to him, you trust in him. The promise of God is that God unites you to Jesus Christ by faith. You are united to him. So his death is now your death. It's death to an old life of sin and rebellion and wrong desires. And the, the penalty for sin is now broken. He paid for all your sins, so there's, there's nothing left on your account for God to be justly concerned with as far as his wrath goes. It's over. He took the penalty of sin for you. You're in him. His cross is yours. He took the power and, of sin and broke it in your life, which means you are no longer enslaved to wrong desires. You now have this new taste for Jesus and his ways. The power of sin is broken, new life. So his death is yours and his life is yours. Now you live to know him and to enjoy him and to follow him and glorify him because by God's grace through faith you are in Christ. We're going to sing it after the sermon. Christ is mine forevermore. By faith, Christ is yours forevermore. You are in him. He is yours and you are his. Why are you a saint today? Saint, I don't want to say anybody's name and embarrass them. Saint you. Saint you. Why are you a saint today? There is one reason you are or are not a saint, and it is this. Are you in Christ? Because if you are in Christ by faith, you are top shelf righteous in the eyes of the Father. You're in him, which means you're a saint. And you might think, I'm not righteous enough. Well, looking at your actual practical functional righteousness right now, that is true. That's not what he's looking at. 
He's looking at the perfect righteousness of Christ stamped on you, you and your, the account of your life. And in Christ, you are righteous. You are a saint. You're a saint. You're in Christ. Hmm. To all the saints in Christ Jesus, you get this big universal picture of the church. All of God's people throughout the ages, the saints in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi. How might he write that to us today? To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Fountain Valley, Southern California, Fountain of Life. And who would that refer to? That's you. That's me. You know, it's amazing to consider the work God went to through Paul to save these Philippians. You realize as you read through Acts, Paul's on his missionary journey, and, and God actually keeps saying to him, no, not this region. No, not that region. And then there's this dream, and, and through this and that and the other thing, where does Paul end up? Philippi. And then you get these crazy stories. You know, he's in, he's in the prison singing with his friend, and it breaks, breaks loose, and then the, the, the jailer converts. And there's a demonically oppressed girl, and God works in her life. Look at the story, Acts 16, 14. He goes down and, and shares the gospel, Acts 16, 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, a city of, from the city of Thyatira. The Lord, what? What happened? The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Do you see the, the complex working for this lady, Lydia, to hear the gospel and to have God come and personally work in her life so she would say, oh, Christ, and believe him. The church, saints in Christ at Philippi. God has done the same work in so many of you. Think of how he has worked your life story and connected you to this, that, and the other thing and brought you through so many things and, and moved you to where you are in this place. And, and just like Lydia, you say, I need Christ. I love Christ. You're the saints in Christ at Fountain Valley. And he's working in us, right? Is he working in you? How many of you could say God has changed functionally so many of your desires? Do you remember being a prideful piece of, mm-hmm? And then all of a sudden you realize, boy, you're not perfect, but you're different than you were. Do, do you remember bad habits you used to roll to, idolatries you could not escape? And then all of a sudden you think, I don't want that anymore. Do you have a growing love for Jesus? You mourn it's not enough, but it's there. It's just there. It's got you. God's working in your life. Look at Philippians 1.6. I'm sure of this. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you. What's he going to do, church? He will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. He will bring it to completion. He has worked in changing your desires and what you want, and he's going to continue doing that. And not only is he going to keep changing your desires, as he changes your desires, he's going to meet those desires. Because what you are going to want more and more and more is Christ and his ways. And this, this is the emphasis of my point. This is a community of joy. Because the more and more you want Christ, then the more and more you realize you are the saints in who? Christ. 
you have what you want. The church has what it wants. Because the church wants Christ. And what do we have? Christ. And so as we see Paul saying, I'm going to work with you for your joy, we can and should be the community of joy. Not because we're doing some chintzy, like, fake smile all the time. Not because we don't share our deep burdens. No, I'm so glad Psalm 22 was up today because it was all about lament on the Sunday of joy. Sometimes we're sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. And, and we don't want to pretend like, hey, we're so happy because we have lots of food and lots of money. That's not what we're talking about here. When we get together, we want to have joy and grow in that joy because we're getting together to have our desires popped back into joint so that we'll love what we should love and to have our celebration explode because we have what we want, knowing that we don't even want it enough, and still we have it. And what is it that we want and should want and have but don't quite appreciate yet? Christ. This is the community of joy. May people who come to our community see us growing in this joy that's a little, what's going on? Because no matter whether you're, that we would learn the secret like Paul did, the secret of being brought low, the secret of abounding. Because we can do what? All things through Christ who strengthens us. Tenacious joy. We need to be together tenacious. Look what we're going to see later, Philippians 3, verse 1. Philippians 3, verse 1, Paul's going to say, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Does he tell them to rejoice a lot in this letter? Kind of, he does. Rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. You're in danger when you don't rejoice in the Lord. You're in danger when you don't rejoice in the Lord. That's when all that, the nasties, that's, that's when that comes. And so he's going to continue to write the church because he knows something about the church. What are we prone to? We sang it this morning. Come down out. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to put too much joy in this and not enough in that. And so he says as a community, joy is a fight. Your desires are out of joint. You're tempted to overrate lesser joys and demean greater joys. And so we need a tenacious joy in Christ, and that's what the letter is about. What's tenacious mean? Tending to keep a firm hold of something. What do you want to be like when you're tempted to other joys to take his place? No. Hold to Christ. Tenacious, not readily relinquishing a position, principle, or course of action. I'm going to be joyful in Christ. Persisting in existence, not easily dispelled. Tenacious joy in a community of joy. All right, here's the last one, the power for joy. Verse 2, what does Paul say to the church as they receive this letter? Grace to you. What's grace? Lavish love you don't deserve, but poured out on you by a God who loves you. Grace to you. And what else does he say? Grace to you and? Peace. 
what is peace? Some of you are like, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. You know, we can start with the absence of fighting. Oh, come on. That's not enough. It's a deep sense everything is all right on its deepest level. It's shalom, you're all right at the deepest level. Even when so many circumstances are brought low, I've got peace. Grace to you and peace from who? God, our, who is he? Father. Father loves you, protects you, keeps you. We don't deserve this. It's by grace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And who? The Lord Jesus Christ. He's King of kings. He's risen from the dead. He reigns now. He's coming back and he's yours. He's your king. What's the church going to get as they read this letter? Guess what's coming? More grace. Guess what's coming? More peace. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ as we trust this word by the Holy Spirit. This is the power for joy. God's grace from knowing who he is as our Father, saving us through Christ, and building us up in the Spirit. If you're sitting here right now going, I don't think I can do joy. What do you do with that? How many, are, are some of you thinking, oh, that sounded really good, Matt. Thanks for working on the nice speech. You don't know real life. Okay. Maybe I don't. Paul does. The Lord God does. And he's telling us through this letter that it's his grace and his peace through his truth that can build us up in joy. That is the power for joy. So church, we got wisdom for joy here. Let's trust it. We got the reality of joy here. Let's pursue it. Right desires. Love Christ the most. Have him. We've got the community of joy. Let's participate in it together for our joy in Christ. We've got the power for joy. It's God's grace for us. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I don't just want to do a transition prayer here. I pray for myself, for my family, for my friends here, that this would be a reality. We lift up to you how hard it is for us to have joy. We lift up to you the reality that we love the wrong things too much and the right things not enough. And we pray that you would do surgery in our hearts according to your word that we would love what we should and that we would love Jesus the most and we would rejoice that we have him and we would press on to know him and that you would make us people and a community of joy because we love and have Christ. Do that work in us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.fountainoflifefellowship.com folfcrc.com